Uh, we are in the book of Exodus. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, that's okay. We want you to have one, and so you can just get our usher's attention. They're coming around. They'd love to give you a copy of God's Word, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And we are in Exodus chapter 6. We are rolling right along here, and uh, I know... Honestly, our pace is kind of picked up. Believe it or not, over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, kind of covering a lot of ground. We're going to be going through like six chapters. Uh, but today, we're just going to slow down just a little bit. And uh, there's some really good things that we need to focus on right here at the beginning of chapter six. Uh, many of you have even uh, noticed this. Some of you have even said it, that, that you're recognizing there's kind of a theme here that, that we're picking up on. Uh, th- there's this theme of learning to trust the Lord. Do you trust the Lord even when things get tough and knowing that, that things can even get worse. And, and that's where Moses is in. He is, uh, remember, he's just kind of overwhelmed by this trial, the circumstances. Uh, God told him that he was supposed to go and, and, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and he was not like, he's like, God, I don't know about that whole plan. But uh, reluctantly, he decided to obey. And he went and he told Pharaoh, let him go, let him go. Can't hold him back anymore. And, and Pharaoh, instead of like listening in that, he was like, Psh, who's the Lord? Like, I don't have to listen to him. I do what I want. And so he got ticked off at Moses and the children of Israel, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to make it harder on you. I'm going to uh, make your burdens worse. And so now, uh, here's Moses. Pharaoh is angry at him, and now the children of Israel are angry at him. And that's where we left him last week. He's like, man, God, this is, this is great. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you dragging me into this. That's uh, fantastic. We're really dealing with a tough situation. Here's, listen, listen. Here's the best thing you can do when you're in a tough situation. When you are dealing with difficult circumstances, the best thing you can do is to get your eyes off of your circumstances and look up. I think uh, what you are going to discover, what I want to encourage you with today, is, is the more you get to know God, the more you see him, you will never, ever, ever be disappointed. You're never going to be disappointed the more you get to know God. It is the greatest adventure. It is the greatest joy is to know God. And if you're a believer and you're actually learning truth from the Bible, you're you're, you're just never going to get to the point where you learn something else about God or you come to a, a deeper understanding about him and think to yourself, well, I don't know, man, like that just wasn't what I was hoping for, not... It's not going to happen. At every turn in the pursuit of knowing God, he is going to astound you. It will humble you. It will, it will comfort you. Uh, you're going to lead, lead you into greater levels of hunger and satisfaction and joy as you get to know him and grow in your love for him. Knowing God is the greatest adventure and the greatest joy. And I realize that uh, some of you have kind of been feeling a little overwhelmed and with the problems that, that are going on in your life, things that are happening, maybe it's at home, maybe, maybe it's at work. I don't know what's going on at work, but um, maybe, maybe it's um, your finances or lack thereof or, or, or your health or um, it, it could be your future and the unknowns in all of that. And I get that a lot of times when we're dealing with difficulties, we're dealing with things like that, it's, it's really hard for us to stop thinking about it. You found that? Like you kind of lay awake at night and, and that's what's just going through your head. And I just want to invite you today um, to just take a break from the mess for just a minute and stop looking at the circumstances and look up. What we're going to do, I think we're, 
we're going to see God is going to give us some encouraging truths about him that are going to keep us from falling further into despair and unbelief. And and he's really going to give us a theology lesson. I'm telling you, if we will believe this, it's going to be like jumping in a pool uh, on a sweltering hot day. It's one of those moments where you jump in, you're like, whoo, I needed that, right? Okay, this is going to be invigorating and encouraging. So, So here's the big idea. Here's what we're going to learn. If you're taking notes, note this. We can trust the Lord because he is a saving God. Our God saves. That's awesome truth, okay? Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. Here's what it says. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Watch this. This is so awesome. You've got to listen to these. Maybe somebody needs to be encouraged by this. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God, I think that there's some of us that need this awesome truth and just need, what, what, what a sweet uh, passage that's reminding us of the promises. And I'm, I'm asking, Lord, that you would um, remind us of that and, and help us to, to stop thinking about what's going on in our lives. Maybe we need to uh, just kind of bring that to bear and, and look up and, and recognize um, there's so much more joy. And, and we really can trust you when we, when we do look up and we see you for who you are. So I pray that you would Reveal yourself to us in some special ways, and I pray that your spirit would be present here. And We want to we be more like Jesus in the midst of whatever it is that you're uh, asking us to walk through right now. And I, I pray that you would bring uh, comfort and that you would bring hope and joy that maybe some of us didn't even think was possible. But, but today, would you remind us of what's true? And I pray that you would speak to us in that. We'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you... Um, some encouraging truths, okay? I want to, there's so much here, but I, I want to kind of categorize this, sum this up, and so let me do that with, with two truths that I think we can uh, walk away from today. Here's one if you're taking notes. His timing is always right. God's timing is always right. Now, I know some of you are kind of feeling like, ah, I'm not so sure that I really believe that. There, there, there are times where I, I'm kind of looking at this, and I'm like, God, I, I you know, like, Anytime now, you could show up anytime you need. I, like, I could use a little bit of help down here, and, and it doesn't always seem like God is really doing anything about it. Has this happened to you? Okay, like, this has become actually a joke in our house. Chris and I feel like there, there's so many times we're, like, praying for something. We're asking God to do something, and, and, and we've kind of said, it just seems like God always seems to wait until the 11th hour. 
with us. Like he's never gonna, like we just know, like it's too early, he's not gonna answer. We just kind of waiting until the last minute. And there's times where I just wanna say, God, I, I just hope you know, it's totally okay with me if you were to show up a little bit sooner than that. I would be okay with that, right? And that's how really Moses is feeling here. You remember at the end of chapter five, Moses is kind of, actually, he's kind of ticked off. He, he, he says to God, like, you, you said that you were going to deliver. At the very last verse of chapter five, he said, but since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil and you have not delivered your people at all. He's actually not, you know, accusing God of being late. He's saying, I obeyed and I went and you didn't even show up. And, and, and the situation, honestly, it seems bleak. It does. And, and, and if you're looking at the circumstances and you don't factor in a correct theology about who God is, then it is pretty easy to see. Like, this is, it seems hopeless. It seems frustrating. Like, we, we get why Moses would be impatient with God. I mean, we would never do that. I, I would never be impatient with the Lord, right? But I love, what, I love how God responds to him. Look at, look at verse 1. This is so fantastic. Here's what, here's what God says to him in response to that. He says, now, now you shall see what I will do. God, God doesn't actually make excuses. He doesn't, he, he doesn't say, like, I'm sorry, Moses. I, I, like, I, I had another meeting that ran late, and I wasn't able to make it. I just, I got a lot going on running the universe and all that. I'm really sorry. I, I, I know I said I was going to be there, but like, no, 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 he doesn't do that. What he says is, now. Now it's time. And watch this. You're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh with a strong hand, and he's going to send them out. He's going to drive them out of his land. God is going to make Pharaoh do what he wants him to do, whether Pharaoh wants to do it or not, because God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign and in control. What he's trying to tell Moses here is that not for a second have I lost control of this situation? I know what it feels like. I know how uh, you think that I, well, I was just kind of waiting around and, and, and not really doing anything. And I know you don't really like my timing, but, but now is the right time for me to step in and demonstrate that. And, and man, do, do we not feel this all the time? Like God's plan just doesn't make sense sometimes. Where we're like, Lord, why are you letting this happen? And and, it, and I don't know why you're not answering, and it, and it just seems like you're really not doing anything about it. But, but we need to be really careful that we don't make wrong assumptions about God just because we don't know what he's up to. God doesn't actually give Moses an explanation as to now is the right time. I mean, Moses would have thought, like, you know, you could have showed up, like, before I even, you could have used somebody else or at least showed up when I went to talk to Pharaoh. That would have been awesome. And God doesn't actually tell him why. I mean, he does give us some reasoning in chapter 7. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. But, but God doesn't really explain why now is the right time. But, but you have to know this. He doesn't have to tell us why. Do you know that? I think about how this is repeated, this kind of, Suffering is kind of a normal thing. So many people went through it. I thought about a couple people in the Bible who also went through some really difficult times. I mean, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is Job, right? I mean, 
what a hard life he had. And he's going through this, and he's kind of like, Lord, why? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Do you, do you remember what God said to, to Job at the end of all of that? At the end of the book of Job, God, God answers him. He says, where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Like, were, were you there? Were, were you there when I created everything? Do you know what I know? Can you do what I do? See, God doesn't owe us an explanation. He is not obligated to give us all the details of the plan and to keep giving us updates along the way on where he's at, what he's doing. But he does know that we're going to struggle with his timing. I think about another story in the New Testament. There was two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother was dying, and so they were trying to, you know, call emergency and let's get Jesus over here. And Jesus shows up after Lazarus had already died. Remember what they said? <laughs> Lord, if you'd have come sooner, this wouldn't have happened. Because timing doesn't always make sense. And we're not the only ones that struggle with it. But there's an important truth to remember that, that just because... We don't understand why it's taking so long for God to deliver on his promises. That does not mean that he has lost control or that his plan has derailed somewhere along the way. God is sovereign. And he's going to show that now. He says, I'm going I'm to let you watch the, the power that I have over Pharaoh. He is absolutely in control. In fact, uh, God's word attests to that in other places. It's important for us not to, not to uh, uh, forget this and, and, and think that, that he's somehow lost control here. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. God is on the throne. He's still on the throne. I know sometimes it may not feel like that, but that's true. That's what his word says. And it also tells us that whatever he pleases, he does. God does what he wants to do. He's in control. Nobody tells him what to do. He does what he wants to do. And that's actually a good thing. Because Psalm 119 says, you are good and you do good. Psalm 145, the, the, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. Everything God does is good. And so it's really important that we hold these two truths in concert together, that, that God's sovereignty and God's goodness shouldn't come into question in our mind just because we don't understand the plan or like his timing. We don't always know what he's up to. And in fact, he tells us that he knows better than we do. Were you there? Do you, do you understand what... He knows. Can you do what he does? In fact, Isaiah 55, he, he tells us, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So one of the things we're learning, listen, listen, I, I, I know sometimes we're, we're wrestling with this and things are going on and we just want to ask God, like, why is this happening? Why aren't you doing anything about it? It's okay for us to ask questions. But I do think that we need to be able to admit the limitations in our own understanding. You know what, God? I'm, I'm not you. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I don't know what you know. 
And we can't lose sight of this truth about God. Some of us, I think, like Moses, need to be reminded that no matter how it seems or no matter how it feels, not for a moment has God let go of the wheel and, and lost control. He's still in control of what's going on in our lives. I think he's just uh, patiently and graciously reminding Moses here, he's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And now's the time. And why do we know that he's going to do what he said he can do? Well, verse 2. Look at it in verse 2. This is, this is why. He says, I am the Lord. Matt reminds us that he, he does what he does because he is who he is. That's why. And if you're looking at that verse 2, uh, look closely at it. You see it says, I am the Lord. And you look at that word Lord, it's in all capital letters in your Bible. That's a reminder for us. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that means that's the name. That's the word Yahweh. That's the, the covenant name of God. The I am, the, the self-exalting one. I am the Lord. And then there's something new that's happening here. Verse 3, he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So, so he's saying, listen, there's something happening here. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew God as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But, but, but he's not saying that that was just some, like, nickname and they didn't actually know his name. They probably knew his name was Yahweh. In fact, they actually call him that in the book of Genesis. But what he's saying is they didn't really know what that name meant. So he's saying, Moses, you, you, you are about to see something that not even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fully understood. Because what God is about to do in the book of Exodus, you have to understand this. The Exodus in the Old Testament, it is the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. This is what displays the character of the Lord, Yahweh. In fact, so much of the Old Testament points back to what God did in this book as a demonstration of who he is. And what God is doing is he's connecting what he's about to do with the covenant promises that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I also established my covenant, verse 4. And the covenant was that I was going to give them the land of Canaan. And moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people and I have remembered my covenant. So the covenant, remember this is a, a contractual uh, arrangement, uh, not that they deserved it, but, but, but God was telling that he was uh, promising them to give them the land. He was going to give them the land of, of Canaan in which, like, while they were alive, they were just sojourners in that. He's saying, I, I remembered what I said I was going to do. Do you realize by the time we're reading this in Exodus, this is 400 years later. 400 years, and we're still not in the promised land. We're not in Canaan. I mean, can you even, I know you can't imagine this. Like, we don't like to wait for anything. We have, uh, we have curbside delivery because we can't even be bothered to, like, wait in line for 30 seconds at McDonald's, right? I was like, I ain't doing that. I'm not waiting on that. None of us like to wait. We can't even imagine what that would be like. I mean, the, the, the United States of America has not even been a nation for that long. 400 
years, but here's the point. He has not forgotten what he said. He said, I have remembered my covenant. We saw this in chapter two. That's not like God got a, a reminder notification on his phone. He was like, oh, I, I forgot. I said I was gonna take care of these people. No, that means he's, he's bringing this to mind as the motivation for his action. We're about to watch God work as a demonstration of his sovereignty and his faithfulness to the promises that he's made to his people. You watch what I'm about to do because his timing is always right and he has not forgotten. That's a good promise for you, isn't it? God has not forgotten you and his timing is always right. I know we don't like to wait, but it is important. Sometimes in the waiting, that, that causes us to start looking up and, and even asking the questions why. Like, God, why are you doing this? What, what? And I know maybe, maybe you feel like you've just been waiting for a while. I'm like, God, I'm waiting for you to answer this. And, and can I tell you what he's doing? Because he actually does let us know what he's doing behind the scenes. This is a really important principle. I've got this one for you on the screen. You probably know that I'm going here. Uh, Romans chapter 8. You know that? How many of you knew that? You're like, I knew that. I knew he was going there. Romans chapter 8. This is such an encouraging truth for us. Here's what he says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Hey, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you belong to him, then you know that God, he doesn't say that everything that happens to you is good, but he is telling you that everything that's happening in your life right now, even that that you're wrestling with, all of that God is using together for your good. Isn't that not awesome? He is working right now for your good. But, but, but this is really important. Don't forget verse 29, the, the, the end of this. This is so important because this is what your good is. We have to make sure that we don't lose track of this or we might think that that means that God's just going to give me whatever I want. No, he's not just going for what you want. He's giving you what you really need. Here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. That means he's making you more like Jesus. I don't know if you know how awesome that is. Like, if you really understood that that is good, that he is making you more like Jesus in the midst of everything that is going on, that that you could be more like him, that's better than having relief from your pain or improved circumstances, that you could be more like Christ in the midst of your circumstances, despite the circumstances, no matter what is going on, that I could be more like Jesus. That is what God is doing. You may not see how he's working. But man, when we know that he is working for our best, he knows best. Doesn't it just change your prayers? Okay, I don't really have to get impatient and, and, and start freaking out and getting frustrated. Like, you know what you're doing, Lord. And I'm just going to trust your timing's best in this. And I know you're going to make me more like Jesus through this. That's what I want to. Hope that's encouraging. Here's, here's another one. Let me give you a second truth. And there's a lot that we're going to unpack here. But, but note this. He saves his people. God saves 
his people. Look, we're just looking up, right? We're being reminded of who God is and what he does. I just want you to be encouraged with this. God promises to save his people. In fact, we're going to look at four gospel promises in here, the, these, these I will statements that God makes. And, and Dr. Tony Marita has been really helpful, I think, in, in kind of organizing these and really pointing us uh, to Jesus in them. But, but let's look at these. Uh, there, there's a, a few of these that we're going to look at. Verse 6, he says this, I am the Lord. And I will, here's the first I will, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery. The first promise is deliverance. You're going to be delivered from this. God has heard their groaning and, and he knows they're in trouble. He knows they're in pain, but he is going to set them free. They're not going to have to be in this horrible situation anymore. That's pretty sweet truth that, that the Israelites needed to hear. And so there's a parallel for us because in the gospel, this is realized for us in that we were slaves to sin. But in Christ, we have been set free. Do you know what that means? Have you ever thought about where you would be or what your life would be like if Jesus had not saved you? You thought about that? That's humbling, isn't it? And it's also pretty encouraging because I think all of us can remember a time where we were caught in sin. And let's be real. Sin, um, it always, usually, feels right. It feels good at first. Like if you get that, you know, that, that, that satisfaction, the gratification of getting somebody back with your words that hurt you and, you know, kind of getting a little bit of revenge, that feels good at first. Or, or uh, the indulging in your lusts and the things that you want and grabbing after that and, and the short-lived feeling of, of acceptance and attention that comes with, with popularity. And that, that feels good at first. And, and escaping consequences because uh, you're able to lie your way out of it or, or make yourself look better. At first, that just seems uh, like it's just going to be an improvement on your life or, or, or the feeling of, of control that you can have when you can manipulate uh, people and your circumstances or, or, or the pleasures of this world or the accumulation of stuff or the comfort of habits, whatever. Like, come on, let's be honest. Sin feels good. For a moment. But that moment never lasts, does it? And instead, sin enslaves us, and, and uh, we just, we're, we're trapped, and, and we can't get out. And, and I know some of you uh, could say the same. That I, I have learned this. I could say this uh, with, with so much sincerity that I have never, I have personally never been more miserable than when I was caught in sin. That's what sin does. Sin makes us miserable. And what a, what, what a horrible place to be a, to be a slave to it and, and to live with all the shame and the guilt. And I know some of you might feel like you're living that reality right now. But look up. You can be set free. I know when you're like, caught in it and, and it feels like you're kind of like in a web and you can't get out, it doesn't, doesn't really seem possible, but, but, but there is nothing more glorious than tasting the freedom that only Jesus can bring and knowing that, that you never have to go back to slavery again. 
and that the chains that you thought were going to hold you forever are, are broken, and they have no power over you now. Praise God. What an encouraging word that no matter, it doesn't matter how bad you've been or how much shame or guilt you're carrying, the burden that you are under in Jesus, you can be set free. Look up. Jesus saves. And you're not set free by doing the time or paying your sentence. We are set free. There's really nothing we could do about it. We're only set free because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, which leads us to the next truth here. The end of verse 6, he says this, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That promise is redemption. He promises that he is going to redeem us. Now, that's an important biblical word, but may not be something that we really understand. We don't throw that one around a lot. So that word there means to, to buy back, okay? So, so when there was a, a family member that was in trouble or in need and, and didn't have money or didn't have an ability to pay something that they needed to, there was a kinsman redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. We see this in the book of uh, Ruth in Boaz. He was the example of a kinsman redeemer who kind of steps in and pays for that family member, protects them, and makes sure that they're taken care of. How many of you ever did something really stupid and had to call mom and dad to kind of come and bail you out? Anybody else? Okay. So like I remember when I uh, wrecked my dad's car. I was in college. The car happened to be owned by the church because my dad was a pastor. I wrecked the church car. That was not an awesome day. And I really needed somebody to come and step in on my behalf and help me out. And I was a poor college student. I had nothing. That was not awesome. But it's not exactly like, but kind of like that, okay? We need somebody who's going to step in and God is promising he's going to step in and he's going to work powerfully for the good of his people Israel because he loves them and he's going to be the one they can count on in their time of need. That's God. And for us, that is Jesus. He is our redeemer. You were a prisoner. We even sang that this morning, that he paid our ransom. He paid the ransom price to set us free, and he paid it with his blood. Man, we have to get this, that, that, that you were a sinner, helpless and in need, and nothing you could do about it. And you needed somebody to step in for you, and, and unless you understand that, and, and unless you can admit that, you really don't understand the gospel, and you're going to miss out on salvation. But when you realize there really is nothing that I can do about it, I need somebody else to step in for me and pay a price that I can't pay. And Jesus did that for us. Then you are redeemed. You can be set free. They're not amazing. Here's the next truth, verse 7. He says, I will, next I will statement. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. The promise here is the promise of adoption. The promise of adoption that God is making Israel part of his family. Listen, God did not pull uh, Israel out of slavery in Egypt only to pat them on the back and send them on their way. Like, well, it's been real, guys. It's been awesome. That was kind of fun. But I think my work is done here. So have fun in the promised land. Say hey to the Canaanites for me. That's not what he does. He led them out so that he could lead them into a relationship with himself so that they might know him and he would be their God. 
Is there a, a, a gospel parallel for us here? That we have been adopted into the family of God. Let me talk about adoption just for a minute. How, do, do you know anybody that's been adopted? Do you know somebody that maybe a family that uh, has adopted somebody? And that, honestly, this um, years ago, the Lord really like laid this on um, my heart and Carissa's heart, and 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 maybe someday that the Lord would have that in, in our family. I think that would be fantastic. But there are so many children around the world who need families, kind of like families in our church. We're willing to open up our homes and say to them, you can be part of ours. It's taking a child who is alone and unwanted and who doesn't belong and welcoming them and and sheltering them in love and acceptance. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. So when I ask you, how many of you know somebody that's been adopted? If you belong to Jesus, every single one of you should be raising your hands. Because that's what God has done for us. He's making us a part of his family. Listen, it's only in my foolish moments that I think in my head. I would never say this out loud, but sometimes I I think in my head, "Well, well, of course God loves me. No, it's really not that obvious. Honestly, there really is no reason that God would love me, that, that I, I was an enemy. I, didn't, I, I, I don't belong. I certainly don't deserve it. But God looked down, and he said, I'm going to make you a part of my family, and you can call me Father, and you can come running into the throne room anytime you need me, and you have brothers and sisters here. You belong here, and nothing, nothing is ever going to change that. I'm telling you, you will never Find that kind of acceptance anywhere else. That you can have a relationship with God. But it just keeps going. It just keeps getting better. I told you God doesn't disappoint. Look at, look at the next promise, verse 8. Verse 8, he says, I will bring you into the land. That promise is inheritance. He made this covenant this, this, that, that, uh, with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob that he was going to give them the land of Canaan. There's a problem. I think it's kind of obvious. He said that he was going to give them the land. Problem is, they're dead. And they didn't own the land. Uh, I, I, Abraham, I guess, did. He bought a, a burial plot, so he had a, a graveyard. That's pretty awesome. But he didn't have the promised land. Here we are all these years later. I mean, it didn't happen in their lifetime. If anybody could complain about God having not great timing, right? Yeah, he kind of missed the boat on this one, Lord. But, but Hebrews 11 actually tells us that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob understood that they were, just, they were just sojourning. They were just traveling through, and the land was actually pointing, he said, to a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And in that sense, it's the same for us. That that God is making us promises and we are looking forward to eternity with Christ in glory. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus has gone before us and he is preparing a place for us to live with him forever. And it is there that we have an inheritance with Christ. That's when we're going to be at rest with him for all of eternity. That's pretty sweet. 
So I know that sometimes uh, life doesn't always go the way we want. Sometimes it feels like we're in a mess. We, we might feel a little bit overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling that even today. I just, sometimes, can we just stop focusing on our circumstances and look up? I think the more we do that, we're going to realize we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a God who is in control, who is working all things together for our good, whose timing is always right, who, who delivers us, and he sets us free from the burdens of our sin. He steps in when we're in need, and he redeems us. He buys us back with his blood, and he adopts us into his family, and he showers us with unconditional love and acceptance, and then he promises the hope and the joy of spending all of eternity with him, and you'd think that after all that, we'd be ready to trust him. We have a lot to be thankful for. But there is a warning. I want you to read verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel all these promises. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. These people had gotten so low, they'd gotten so hurt and so crushed that they're not ready to look up and hope again. I know for some people, um, life has a way of uh, pounding and grinding you into the pavement and, and this world that you, uh, it can be so cruel and, and, and you look to it to, to give you comfort and happiness and instead it just leaves you empty and broken and hopeless and I would love to say, as, as Charles Spurgeon has said this, I, I, I pray you do not throw away the next world because you have so little of this world. This is important that we understand and we can empathize and, and we care. I know that you may be disappointed, you may be hurting, but God is able to reach down into the deepest, darkest pit and rescue you even there and give you a joy you didn't know was even possible and to convince you and to show you that you are loved. What's really sad to me is that this generation of the children of Israel, they're about to experience the incredible act of God's salvation in the Exodus as he leads them out and he parts the Red Sea. They're going to watch that and then they're going to get all the way up to the promised land and they're going to miss out on going in. You know why? Because they don't believe and they don't trust him. All the way up to it. And they decide that they're not ready to trust him. And so instead they wander the desert for 40 years until they're all died off and then their children go in. Will you trust the Lord? And stop obsessing with your circumstances and what's going on and just look up. And if any of you would uh, say that you're not sure that you have a relationship with God yet, I don't know that I've ever really put my trust in Jesus to save me. I never asked him to do that. Will you believe him now? He died for you so that you could live with him for all of eternity. Father, I pray that you would encourage us with these truths. I know many of us need them. These are things we know, Lord, but, but sometimes we need to be 
uh, reminded of them. That you are a God who saves. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would be working in our hearts to show us and reveal to us this truth so that we get it. We know we can, we can believe the promises that you have made. And I want to talk to, and no one's looking around, but I want to talk to anyone here who would say, I don't, I don't know that I've ever done that. I've never trusted Jesus to save me from my sin. The reality is that you are a sinner and you deserve judgment, but Jesus died in your place. And if you will call on the name of the Lord, trust him, not you, trust him, what he did for you, you will be saved. If that's you, you're saying, I want to do that. What you can do right now is just pray and ask God to save you. Right there in the quietness of your heart, just tell him, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I deserve judgment, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. Please forgive me and please save me. I want to live with you for all of eternity. Father, I pray that your spirit is at work in us. I pray that you are drawing us back to the truth of who you are, helping us to look up and see that you really are a God who is worthy of our trust. I pray that we would believe your promises and we lift high the name of Jesus together. It's in his name we pray. Amen.